Father, we thank you that you have left us with instruction, that your word is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, able to divide bone from marrow, soul from spirit, that, it, that in it, Lord God, is the remedy for our souls and so much more. And, and my prayer for all of us, Lord, is that none of us leave this room this morning without being changed by your word in those areas that need change. Where we need encouragement, bring encouragement. Where we need exhortation, bring exhortation. Lord God, where we need direction, give direction. But speak to each one, Lord, what you want us to hear. It's in your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. My text this morning is what we've been reading all morning already. But I want to start at the end with the Song of Mary, the, the Magnificat is what it's called. And Mary said, my soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit has rejoiced in God my Savior. For he has regarded the lowly state of his maidservant. For behold, henceforth all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me. And holy is his name, and his mercy is on those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the imagination of their hearts. He has put down the mighty from their thrones and exalted the lowly. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent empty, away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his seed forever. Did you know that that was the song of the revolutionary? Many revolutions have begun because of those words in that song. Because her song speaks to God's, to God's defense of the oppressed and his provision for the poor while humbling the rich and the powerful. Warren Wearsby says of Mary's words, Mary saw the Lord turning everything upside down. The weak dethrone the mighty. The humble scatter the proud. The nobodies are exalted. The hungry are filled. And the rich end up poor. When you think of revolutionaries, few are as recognized as Martin Luther King who in faith set out to win the liberation of his people, to have equal rights, to be recognized fully as, the, as, the, uh, as, as, as human, with all the rights given by God that our Constitution speaks of. He didn't know what that would look like. He didn't see the trials along the way, though I am sure he could envision them. But he stepped out in faith. And the rest is history. Of faith, he would say, faith is taking the first step even when you don't see the whole staircase. I don't think Mary could imagine what was coming. She is the model of this kind of faith. Scripture doesn't reveal much about her beyond these opening chapters in, in Matthew and in Luke. We have brief encounters of her throughout the life of the, in the ministry of Jesus. There was the time Jesus went missing, remember? <laughs> oh, no, where is he? We lost God. Anyway, 
We lost, we lost, where is he? And they go back to the temple, and what is he doing? He's there conversing with the religious leaders on, on the things of the word and the law. And his mother says, did you know we were looking for you? Well, where did you expect me to be but in my father's house? But he went with them after that point, and he submitted to them. And we can't forget the moment Mary came looking for him with her children. Hey, your mother and your brother and brothers are out there looking for you. And what did Jesus say? He said, who are my mother, my brother, and my sisters? I tell you this, my mother, my brother, and my sisters are those who do the will of him who sent me. We also have that moment she asked Jesus to do something about, about the wine running out at a wedding. It's like, what do you want me to do? It's not my time yet. Why do you involve me, woman? And, and, and that, that, was, that wasn't a woman kind of thing. It, it was a term of endearment. But still, it, it was clear. It was like, why do you involve me? It's not yet my hour. It's not yet my time. Yet he still did what she asked. We see her briefly at the cross when Jesus tells John to take care of her. And we see her with the apostles in the upper room before the day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit came upon all the people. A and that's really it. Beyond that, we know very little. Yet next to Jesus, she's probably the most, one of the most famous religious fig figures in all the world. Largely due to the Catholic Church elevating her to a place she shouldn't be elevated to. Elevating her to a place that, frankly, she would probably be embarrassed to know. As we see in this, dis this discourse here, she was a humble, she was a meek, she was a lowly servant. Let it be as, let it be to your maidservant as you say. A maidservant was the lowest of servants. And I think that, that, that she would be embarrassed to know how she has been elevated and exalted. Mary was obscure during the ministry of Jesus. John, the Baptist, became obscure during the ministry of Jesus, didn't he? There, there's a reason they became obscure, because he must be lifted up. He must be exalted. Even when James and John and Peter are up on the Mount of Transfiguration, and Peter wakes up and in, in his blundering way says, hey, let us make a tent for all of three of these guys. And God says, okay, this is my son with him. I am well pleased. It wasn't about Moses. It wasn't about Elijah. It was about Jesus, whom Moses foretold would come. Even the Holy Spirit's primary purpose is not to exalt himself. And he's the third person of the Trinity. He is God. But what is the role of the Holy Spirit in and through our lives? To glorify Christ. To magnify him. To lift up his name. For us to do ministry in his name. For us to proclaim the gospel in his name. There is no other name under heaven by which we can be saved, right? Though we see faith, God will share his glory with no man except him who is called the Son of Man, <laughs> the Son of God, Emmanuel, God with us. So though we see faith on display in Mary, 
It is the one in whom she has placed their faith, her faith that is the example. And it is the example for every one of us here this morning to follow her example. Uh, don't get me wrong. I, I grew up in the Catholic Church, and I understand the veneration of Mary and how that got out of control. And, and I'm not dissing her. I'm dissing where people have put her. But she is called blessed in this passage. She is called blessed among women in this passage. She is called favored by God in this passage, and rightly so. Because look who she bore. It's all about Jesus. Three things about Mary's example of faith I want to explore this morning are, number one, Mary puts her faith in God's grace. The same grace he bestows on us when we receive it by faith. We've been saved by grace through faith, right? Mary's obedience took her down, number two. Mary's obedience took her down a hard path, but her faith in God's strength carried her through. And number three, Mary had faith God would fulfill his promises. She was a student of the word, and we see that in, in her song. As she quotes scripture, she quotes Hannah, Samuel's mother. She was a student of the scriptures, and therefore she could put her faith in the promises of God. Back to verse 26. Now in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. And having come in, the angel said to her, Rejoice, highly favored one, the Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women. But when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying and considered what manner of greeting this was. Then the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son and shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the son of the highest. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. Then Mary said to the angel, how can this be since I do not know a man? And the angel answered and said to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. And the power of the highest will overshadow you. Therefore, also, the Holy One who is to be born will be called the Son of God. Now, indeed, Elizabeth, your relative, has also conceived a son in her old age. And, has, and this is now the sixth month for her who is called barren. For with God, nothing is impossible. Then Mary said, Behold, the maidservant of the Lord, let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. 400 years of silence. 400 years it had been since God spoke through one of his prophets. 400 years from the time Malachi said these words, Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes, and he will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction. 400 years from those last words in the book of Malachi to the visitation of Zechariah, that your wife who is barren is now going to have a son and you will call his name John and he will return 
the hearts of the people to God and, and the hearts of children to their father. That's a long wait to hear from the one you've placed your faith in. There are a lot of things happened through, through those 400 years, and I'm sure they cried out to God, but he was silent until Gabriel was released to proclaim the fulfillment of Malachi, and therefore the fulfillment of what God had been preparing his people for all through the Old Testament and all through the Old Testament scriptures. God breaks his silence with Zechariah, Zechariah. Then he breaks his, and then, Zechar, and then the angel is allowed to go to Mary and speak to Mary. He goes to Mary with the news to this teenage uh, virgin is just, is just dying to hear, right? Hey, Mary, you're going to be pregnant. What? <laughs> and the, the baby that's going to be in you, he's going to be the son of David. He's, he's going to be the Messiah. He's going to be God. Can you imagine what's going through her mind? Now, the, the most, one of the wonderful things about the nation of Israel is that all their people were educated. They were all taught the word. The children were taught the world word from the very beginning. And they were told of Messiah, the promise to Abraham, then to Isaac, then to Jacob, and to Judah, and to David, and so on. It, this, was, this was a part of, of of their everyday life to look forward to this time. And they knew the scriptures in Isaiah that Dean taught on last week. That, behold, the virgin shall be with child. And here, this angel comes and he says to her, Mary, it's you. What made Mary highly favored? She was poor. I'm not saying this is what made her highly favored. She was a poor woman. Her betrothed husband, Joseph, and, and to be betrothed in those days was like being married, but you didn't consummate the marriage until a year later. So to break off that betrothal, it was like going through a divorce. That's why later on it says Joseph, being of good character, was going to divorce her quietly when he found out she was pregnant. So she was betrothed to a poor man. They lived in Nazareth, the armpit of Israel. Judah looked down on the Nazarites. They considered them unkosher. And, and it had this, Nazareth bore this stigma, even with its own people, nothing good comes out of Nazareth. Right? So why was she highly favored? Well, isn't it just like God to choose the lowly, to confound the wise? The foolish things of this world. For consider your calling, brothers, Paul says, not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are. Sounds like her Magnificat song, doesn't it? That God showed favor toward Mary says more about God than it does Mary. That God shows favor towards 
any of us, again, says more about God than it does any of us. It wasn't because she was good that God chose her. It's because God is good, and he chose her. It's no different with any individual who humbles themselves before God. When Peter said, depart from me, Lord, I am a sinner. Remember that moment? Hey, Peter, let's go fishing again. Oh, we just cleaned the nets and we caught nothing. You okay, whatever. And they go out there and they catch this load they can't haul in. And Peter, recognizing, okay, this is no ordinary person, gets on his knees before the Lord and he says, depart from me, I am a sinner. And Jesus didn't say, you're right, get out of here. Jump over the side of the boat, please. No, he recruited him. He said, Peter, I'm going to make you a fisher of men. And, and, and Peter, I mean, he didn't say this to Peter in that moment, but I know it's in his mind. It's, it's like thousands of people are going to come to faith in me through your ministry, Peter. Is it because Peter was so awesome? No, it's because we have an awesome God. When the people were cut to the heart by Peter's first message in Acts chapter 2, it's like, we are responsible for killing the Messiah? What are we going to do? Peter said, repent and believe on him, and he's going to give you the Holy Spirit. What? Now, did they deserve that? Did they earn that? No, it was by grace, by the mercy of God, that they're given the gift of God in the Holy Spirit. When a tax collector and a Pharisee went into the temple to pray, the Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like Anthony. I mean, I'm sorry, like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I have to always give Anthony a hard time. I'm sorry. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven. But he beat his chest, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, Jesus said, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. That tax collector, you can just see him, Lord, depart from me. Lord, I'm not worthy of this. But he was there. He still understood something about the mercy and the grace of God, that he was in that place. And so he walked away justified. He walked away righteous. He walked away right before God. How can that be? He was a traitor to Israel. A thief and a robber, a tax collector. Christian justification is the act of God removing our guilt through the atoning sacrifice of his son. We're justified through that. Justified meaning just as if I'd never sinned. For by grace we have been saved through faith. There it is. It's not of ourselves, but it's a gift of God. Not by works lest any man should boast. So why is it then that Mary is so blessed among women? <laughs> I already alluded to it. Look at who the baby is. Look at who is in her. 
a son, which was a big deal in that culture. We, we see how big a deal it is as we read through the Gospels, and Jesus comes upon this wake uh, where a, a, a widow is mourning the loss of her only son. That was devastating to a woman in that kind of a culture. But Jesus restores her son to her. So, first of all, he's a son, not just any old son, but the son of the highest, the son of God. And I don't believe the significance of these words were lost on Mary. The son that would be in her, uh, the son that would be in her would have the nature of God. Emmanuel, God is with us. It is one of the reasons they wanted to crucify Jesus. They, they said, we're not doing this for any of the things that you've done, but that you, a mere man, claim to be God. Or claim to be the Son of God, making yourself equal with God. He had the very nature of God. Huh. Is she blessed, ladies? Truly blessed. His name is Jesus. God is salvation. The promised Messiah to the nation of Israel. But that salvation would be go, go beyond just rescuing them from their oppressors. It would rest, that salvation would rescue them from the oppression of sin. The sin in their own lives that they're accountable for. No ordinary child. And therefore, no ordinary birth. He may have been brought into an ordinary woman, but she was a virgin. It was miraculous. There is no other way God should come on the scene than through the miraculous. It says he will be great. <laughs> the word is megas, and it means loud. And no, not like Donald Trump. Not like people... And, and, and all our politics who bloviate and, and are just loud, some obnoxious, some not. I grew up very loud <laughs> in the morning. <laughs> Submit, woman. <laughs> I grew up very loud, but that's not the kind of loud that it's talking about. Rather, it's loud through action. I'm going to give you some homework this week. I want you to read through the Gospel of Mark slowly. Just read through the Gospel of Mark and see the activity of Jesus and the impact he had on the communities and the culture around him. It was loud. It was megas. It was like a megaphone of activity that people were drawn to. And you see that. The reason I said the Gospel of Mark is you just see this activity and these crowds and this, this, this uh, agenda going forward very quickly as Jesus is having a great impact. And he is the promised king, the Messiah. That's pretty special. You look at thir verse 34 again. Mary said to the angel, how can this be, since I do not know a man? And the angel answered and said to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the highest will overshadow you. Therefore also that Holy One who is to be born will be called the Son of God. 
Now indeed, Elizabeth, your relative, is, has also conceived a son in her old age, and this is now the sixth month for her who is called barren, for with God nothing will be impossible. And Mary said, let it be as, as you say. Let it be as you say. She says, how can this be? Mary's question isn't a question of doubt. Like Zacchaeus, or Zechariah, excuse me. Like Zechariah, the father of John the Baptist. He was praying for a son, and, and I'll let Anthony deal with this next week. Were you going to deal with this next week? No, okay, he'll let me deal with it. He was praying for a son. And then the angel came and said, you're going to have a son. I don't believe it. Isn't that the way we pray so often? It's like, okay, I'm supposed to pray, but probably nothing is going to happen. You know, glass is half full, half empty. But Mary was simply inquiring, saying, I'm a virgin. How is this going to happen? She was just saying, I, I, I don't, I mean, like, great, sure, wonderful, but how? <laughs> and the answer to Mary's questions is obvious. Nothing is impossible for God. And I want us to carry that. I'm going to talk about that a little bit later in relation to our lives. Uh, Mary had faith in the grace of God, but she also had faith in the power of God to carry her through some very difficult times that were coming. Oh, we call her blessed. But remember the part of the Beatitudes that says, blessed are those who are persecuted for my name's sake. It was just beginning for Mary. It was just the beginning for her as, as she would be this virgin, this girl, this teenage girl who would go home to her husband Joseph with a bump in her belly after she visits with Elizabeth and he's going to go, oh, are you sick? It was going to be a hard task before her and she would need the strength of the Lord to carry her through. She was saying yes to the fact that people are going to look upon me and I'm going to have this stigma of being unfaithful, of being a harlot, an adulteress. If you wonder about this, if she carried this stigma and Jesus also carried this stigma through their lives, there was a moment when Jesus was having a conversation with the religious leaders in John chapter 8 about their father Abraham, Jesus who he was, uh, and, and Jesus made a, the famous statement of, before Abraham, I was. You know, it's like, and, and they picked up stones to stone. Before Abraham, I am. Uh, they picked up stones to stone him because the word I am was that, that word God gave to himself, that name God gave to himself. So it's during a part of this dissertation that Jesus makes a statement to them, you do the deeds of your father, speaking your father is the devil. And then they said to him, we were not born of fornication. God is our father. And as a direct stab at Jesus, your mother was a whore. You're illegitimate. That's a heavy stigma to carry. 
But she had the power of God. She had faith in the power of God, faith in the grace of God to appoint her for this task, and faith in the power of God to carry her through it. With God, all things are possible. Even your, your Aunt Elizabeth or your cousin Elizabeth is going to have a baby. She was barren. God can do this. God can do this. One of the things, and this is just a side note, isn't it amazing how much of Jesus' ministry was amongst those type of women who did have that stigma because that's where they lived, that's all they knew, that was their life. But he came in and he restored them. He, he, he came to the adulteress who was caught and, and, and they were trying to trap Jesus. And all of his accusers, all of her accusers left when their own sin was revealed. And he said, where are your accusers? They're not here. And the one that had the right to stone her forgave her. Go and leave your life of sin. Don't you know his heart was welling up with compassion and empathy? Not just sympathy, but an empathy that understood how his mother had been labeled and therefore how he had been labeled. And he had deep ministry with them. Obedience to God is right, but it's never easy. <laughs> it's never easy. Obedience wasn't easy for the apostles. Every one of them died a martyr's death except for John, who was boiled in oil but didn't die and was cast to the island of Patmos for most of the rest of the remainder of his life. Obedience wasn't easy for William Carey. I talked about him a couple of weeks ago who, who went to India. Eight years of work. One fire destroyed all of that work and he gets back in there and he does it. How does he do that? The power of God. The purpose of God. The work of God. God, this is your task. You called me here. I'll start over. I must have gotten something wrong. So I must need to start over on this. Obedience wasn't easy for Jim Elliot and their wives as they went back in after they died. Obedience wasn't easy for Martin Luther. Uh, it was not an easy time. Some of you remember that time better than I do. It, it was horrible. And it cost him his life. Obedient, obedience wasn't easy for Paul. For we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, he says in 2 in in Corinthians 1, 8-9, of the affliction we experienced in Asia. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death. But that, listen to that, but that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. Do you see the things that God calls us to? And I guarantee you, he's called every one of us who are believers in here to some purpose, to some task. Mary's was perhaps the greatest. <laughs> next to her son, Jesus. But, but only on the level that it was time. 
Every, every task is great, but it's great because it's the Lord's task, and he has appointed each one of us to something. We are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which he prepared in advance that we should walk in them. So when we come to, know, to the knowledge of knowing what we're, where we're supposed to walk, what is our purpose, what is our calling, what do you want me to do this week, God? Understand, you need the strength of the Lord. And, and, and can I ask you to do something? Can I ask you to believe something? Believe for the tasks that require you to need God. God, I cannot do this. Paul, despaired of life, he was depressed. Why? So that we did not trust in ourselves, but in him who does the impossible, raises the dead. I don't know what God has called you to, but he has called you to do great things for his kingdom. Trust in his promises and he will not forsake you or leave you without his power to accomplish that work. I wrote this little note down. What we do, we do for God. Therefore, it is great. Right? Verse 39. Now Mary arose in, these, in those days and went into the hill country with haste to a city of Judah and entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And it happened when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary that the baby leapt in her womb and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. Then she broke out with a loud voice and said, Blessed are you among women and blessed is the fruit of your womb. But why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For indeed, as soon as the voice of your greeting sounded in my ears, the babe leapt in my womb for joy. Blessed is she who believed, for there will be fulfillment of those things which were told her from the Lord. Wow, what a moment. Elizabeth's probably on cloud nine already anyway. She's giving her husband a son. In that culture, again, that meant a lot. And then Mary walks in. John is at that moment, I believe that's the moment John is filled with the Holy Spirit because the angel said to uh, Zacharias that, that he will be filled with the Spirit from his mother's womb. And therefore, Elizabeth's filled with the Holy Spirit, and she begins to rejoice, and she begins to prophesy. God gives her revelation. That child in you is my Lord. <laughs> wow. I think Mary needed that. I think she needed this reassurance and this encouragement. She was a woman of faith. She was a woman who was humble and lowly. She accepted the Lord's purpose for her, uh, and, and, but yet she had to doubt. She had to wonder, God, when I, when I go home to Joseph, I have to tell him, God. And, and then here's, here's God saying, hey, this is all me. 
And it is a glorious thing. And there was joy that exudes from these, from these two as, as they uh, fellowship with one another and, and, and God ministers to each other through uh, the Spirit. But, um, so here's faith in God's promises. We had faith in his grace, faith in his power, and faith in God's promises. Mary's song, Mary's song, as I said, reveals her knowledge of Scripture. How can we know God's promises if we aren't in the Word discovering what those promises are, what He thinks about us, who He is? Read through the Psalms, and, and you'll, your mind will just be blown by how often the writer of the Psalm refers to God's steadfast love. Continually, the steadfast love of the Lord. The stead we rely on the stead. Lord, I'm a sinner, but your love is steadfast. It, it's, it's, it's something we need to be reminded of continually in our own lives and our failures. Wait, the steadfast love of the Lord carries me. We need the word of God stored in our hearts. In it, she quotes the Psalms in, in her song. In the song of Hannah, and the song that he, she quotes the words of Hannah after uh, uh, Hannah has Samuel. Um, and more importantly, she brings up at the very end of her song the promise of Abraham. The, the thing that the whole nation of Israel hinged on. That, that all nations of the earth will be blessed through your seed, Abraham. Your, the, the, the nation that comes from you will be a blessing to all people because of the seed that comes from you, referring to the Messiah. Her faith is directly proportional to her knowledge of the word of God. Romans 10, 17, so faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God, right? We need the word stored in our hearts. But something else is taking place in these verses that speak to a promise we're all to receive. When you look at the stories surrounding Zechariah and, and Elizabeth and Mary and even Simeon later on, what is the common denominator? The Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit will come upon you, will overshadow you, Mary. He will be filled with the Holy Spirit from his mother's womb. The Holy Spirit came upon him and he said, it's the common denominator here. And, it's, and it, it, to me, it was like, as I was reading it this week, I'm thinking, this is like a foreshadowing of what's coming. Because what did John the Baptist, who is the forerunner of Christ, say about the Christ? I baptize you with water. But there's one who is coming who will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. One of the primary ministries and purposes of Jesus Christ was to bring the Holy Spirit to us. If you wonder about that, um, I think I put the Old Testament passage down. Oh, maybe I did. I, I quoted out of Acts 2.17, uh, where Peter quoted it. And in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my male servants and female servants in those days, I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy. On all flesh, not just a prophet here and there, not just a select individual here and there, 
but upon all flesh, upon all people who put their faith in Jesus Christ. What is it Peter said? Repent and believe, and you will be given the Holy Spirit. We can't be saved apart from the ministry of the Holy Spirit in our lives, coming in and regenerating us. That's what it means to be born again. We have been born of the Spirit. God said in the Old Testament that this law, you guys have been so... Uh, futile in following and, and how you've failed at it continually, well, I'm going to put that law upon your heart. How does that happen? But that the Spirit of God now dwells in us who put our faith in Jesus Christ. The law is the schoolmaster to Christ. It reveals our need for Christ. It shows us we can't do this. And when we've broken one part of it, we've broken all of it. And we cry out, who will rescue me from this body of sin and death? Praise be to God through Jesus Christ. And the ministry of the Holy Spirit comes in. But more than that, more than that, on, as I close, uh, I want us to be thinking about something. And Devin, you can come up. Mary had faith in God's grace, humbly accepting God's plan, for her life. What is God's plan for your life? Understand, Mary didn't feel like she deserved it. She knew she didn't. And therefore, God could do it for her. What, what is the thing God has called you to? What is he asking of you? Do you realize the work we do in him is preordained, as I said already? And, and it's in the context of his grace that we accomplish it? We're saved by grace through faith. It's not of ourselves. I get to God, but not by works, lest any man should boast. For we are his workmanship in, created in Christ Jesus. It's all in the context of his grace. Mary endured having faith in God's strength. Whatever he's called you to, whatever purpose, whatever task, he will strengthen you. He will give you his spirit to carry you through. He's there to trust in. Listen, he has great things ordained for us. Not because we're great or to make us great, but, but to make the name of his son all the greater. Is God your strength? Like Paul, have things gotten so difficult at times that you're just like, the sentence of death is on you. It's, okay, Lord, even now, so Lord, come quickly. I'm ready. I'm ready. I'm done with this. Had you ever imagined Paul being done? The guy who said, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. And I'm torn between the two because if I stay, I'm with you guys and I can encourage you. But if I go, I'm with the Lord and that's the better thing. I say, what do I do? He was depressed. There were times Jesus had to come to him and encourage him. But Jesus came to him and encouraged him. That's the point. We need him. Because she was a student of the word, Mary had faith in God's promises. For 1,700 years, Israel waited for God to fulfill the promise to Abraham. We've been over 2,000 years waiting for that second coming. Do you put your faith in that? Dean just got through teaching the whole book of Revelation. It's a time that we're supposed to look to as if it's coming tonight. 
right now to live in such a manner as, as to be ready, to be circumspect, for the days are evil, to be aware and to, be, to, to look forward to that day of his coming. And we know it's coming because we know the word and that he's true to his word. Do you have faith enough to believe what he says? Do you know what he says in his word in order that you might believe it? Do I? I keep saying you, forgive me. I'm saying, what was it? One finger, three back. It's us, it's all of us. Who is ready to be a revolutionary? There's a guy who wrote a book on the Lord's Prayer. And he said it's one of the most revolutionary prayers you could possibly read or pray. Because in that prayer, Jesus is telling his disciples to pray for God's kingdom to come. And as we studied through the book of Revelation, we saw what that means. Your kingdom come, your will be done, Lord, on earth as it is in heaven. We're praying for the revolution, but, and we're the revolutionaries, but we're coming in a spirit of humility and of grace and of mercy before that great and terrible day of the Lord. Just as grace and mercy have been demonstrated to us, now we're supposed to bring that same gospel, that same good news of the coming of God's kingdom in Christ Jesus. Wow, that's a glorious thing, a glorious message we have. Who's ready to be a revolutionary? My message a few weeks ago was counterculture in the world, counterculture. And I thought of this this morning, in the world yet not like the world, impacting the world with the goodness of God. In the world, yet not like the world, impacting the world with the goodness of God. That's what we've been anointed for. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, Jesus said, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he closed the book and he said, Today, this is fulfilled in your hearing. And too often, we look at that as that was just Jesus. Can I challenge you with something? That passage applies to all of us who have been filled with his Holy Spirit. For the Spirit of the Lord God is upon us to carry on the ministry of Jesus Christ. The Acts of the Apostles is not the Acts of the Apostles. It's the continuing Acts of Jesus Christ through Spirit-filled men and women of God. That's what the book of Acts is. No, we don't fulfill it in the same way Jesus did. He fulfilled it so that he could leave and give us the Holy Spirit so that we could do even more than he did alone on earth. He said that. He said, I have to go. If I don't go, the Spirit won't come upon you. And all the things that I do, you will do, and even greater, he said. It does, it doesn't make, it's not saying we're greater than him. It's just that the Spirit of God in millions of people 
is going to do more than he could, limited as he was, as he limited himself. That's a whole other message I don't have time for. But do you guys want to do another message? <laughs> I want us to leave this Christmas season, this morning as we think of this Christmas season, God, you have gifted us with your son. And he has gifted us with the Holy Spirit for the work you called us to. Father, our gift to you is to say, let it be as you say. Your humble maidservant will do as you say. What is he calling us to? Look what 12 men did when they said yes. Let's pray. Father, it is a mystery to each and every one of us that you would use us. And I think it was a mystery to Mary. As amazing a woman as she was, God, you blessed her socks off, and, and you bless us by appointing us to these things, to purpose, to show the world around us the good news of your kingdom, to be in this world, yet not of it, impacting it for the goodness, impacting it with the goodness of God to the glory of your name. God, let that be our gift to you this Christmas season, just a simple surrender that says, yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand. Where the word at the beginning, one with God the Lord must die. You're in